0: Welcome to the Issues of Sports. I am your host, Evan Makofsky, and you are listening to the Believe Network. It's always a privilege to have the Issues of Sports on the Believe Network. We are gonna have Brad Gilbert, the former coach and current ESPN tennis analyst, coming up shortly, just around the corner. And Brad is gonna discuss This ongoing situation with Wimbledon as we are playing in the French Open quarterfinals, making it to the semifinals and on to the finals, and every player is allowed to play, but that is not going to be the case at the next Grand Slam in Wimbledon in England as Russian and Belarusian players are banned from participating. This was a move by the All England Club. Many people thought that pressure was put on the All England Club by the British government. Whether or not that's true or not, I disagree with the decision. The ATP has pushed back trying to strip Wimbledon of rankings points, so not making it as valuable a tournament, to my understanding, as it is. Many people consider it to be the most valuable tournament. Many think it's the U.S. Open, but many, because of the prestige and the grass and just tradition, feel that Wimbledon is the most prestigious of all four Grand Slam tournaments. So, We're going to have Brad Gilbert on to discuss the ban, the pushback, how In my book, these players didn't do anything just because they were born in Russia. Some of them on the last podcast with John Wertheim of 60 Minutes and Sports Illustrated, they haven't lived in Russia for years. How are they responsible for the actions of Vladimir Putin? Why are these Russian and Belarusian players not going to be allowed to play Wimbledon? So Brad is going to talk about that. He's going to talk about some of the players to watch. What about Serena and Federer? When are they going to wave? Bye-bye. A lot to discuss. That is all coming up next on the issues of sports. I'm Evan Makovsky. Brad Gilbert. Next, you're listening to the Believe Network. Welcome back to the issues of sports. It is my pleasure to welcome to the program former professional tennis player and current ESPN tennis analyst, Brad Gilbert. Brad, it's a pleasure to have you on. Let's get right into it and start with the controversy involving Wimbledon. And Wimbledon, six, eight weeks ago, announced that uh, Russian and Belarusian players could not participate. And the ATP is pushed back. They've been stripped of rankings points. A lot of people don't understand the whole rankings point system. Maybe you can just In layman's terms, as best you can, explain what's going on with Wimbledon, with the ban and the pushback. Well,
1: Wimbledon is obviously the first tournament has decided to ban Russian and Belarusian players. No other tournament going on has done this. But we've seen it, you know, in Olympics now where the Russians can't represent Russia um, or now the World Cup they can't represent. But this is the first um, event where they've not allowing individuals who have qualified to play. The points are the winner of the four grand Slams get 2,000 points, which goes to your 52 rate ranking. So there will be no ranking points. But obviously, Wimbledon, you know, it, it will not be like an exhibition. It will still have the, the massive significance. But honestly, you wished something could have been worked out. Something somehow could have been, you you know, avoided in this situation. But they decided to take a stand, and and then the tournament will go on, and it will go on without the Russian and Belarusian players. But honestly, you know, you wish something could have been worked out.
0: When you say you wish something could have been worked out, what could be worked out except not banning them? Well, how about Rublev?
1: Who 's ranked seven in the world said that he would play for nothing and donate all of his money
0: to charity i 'm against the ban personally i I, don't, I think it 's unfair I think the, that you 're taking players and some of them don 't even live in russia anymore and you're you 're penalizing them basically for being born somewhere they 're not involved in the government 's decision and then there 's another aspect to it that I read by in a New York times opinion column is does what is what Wimbledon is doing does that make Vladimir Putin reconsider invading Ukraine or coming to a peace accord in any way and it seems like the answer there I know that he values sports I don't know what his relationship is with tennis but the answer there is no So really, you're you're and and some Russian players have come out against the war on the tour. So what are you really accomplishing? What is Wimbledon accomplishing? Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I just, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's just like I said, it's just a sad situation. And, you know, some of the players are probably fearful of speaking out because of, you know, if you speak out, you don't know what could happen to you.
0: That's absolutely true, but it also sets a precedent here where I guess it's a private organization or whatever, but when the U.S. invaded Iraq in 2004, Americans weren't banned from Grand Slams. I'm not trying to get into a political discussion here, but I would assume this precedent continues where if this war goes on for two, three years, who knows what the future holds, that Wimbledon is going to hold this line.
1: Well, I mean, the other, the U.S. Open, the Aussie Open, and French Open are federations and clubs, so they can make some of their own rules. It's not a federation that runs it; it's a private club, so they can, you know, make some decisions that others couldn't. Um, You you will help. I mean, you would hope that if this does drag on for a significant amount of time, there's something that can be figured out. And I'd like to think of the players, you know, aren't the ones making decisions, you know, but it just, you know, it'll be interesting when I get there to see how, you know, it plays out more about this. But like I said, you just wished something could could have been worked out to avoided this but you, you know it's i it's not my you know that that's their decision
0: the WTA staying with countries here and if you want to call it politics canceled all events in china due to the peng shui situation the ATP is going should they be going to china you know now it, it, tennis is really um I guess, getting involved in in world politics. Where do you come down on this?
1: I mean, obviously, you know, it was a huge decision for the women's because they have tons, much more business in China than the men's do. Men's have far less tournaments. But it's one of those decisions you you wish, if, if it was happening, that they would have done it together. So, you know, surprised that they're, they're not doing it together. Obviously, the WTA said, boom, until we have more concrete evidence, there's no tennis there. And I was surprised that the ATP decided to go in a different route.
0: Do you think it's a good thing or it just is what it is? That Because obviously it's an international sport where tournaments are held on every continent across the uh, the globe aside from Antarctica. But do you think it's a good thing that tennis is so now tied up into world issues and politics?
1: I mean, anytime that you have a global sport and you're going to have these things come up, there's no doubt. Um, I mean, obviously it's a very sad situation that is happening with Peng Shui and same thing, like I said, about the Russian players, the Chinese players, who I'm sure, you you know, would love to voice their opinion because there's lots of playing on the tour, especially on the female side. But surely they're not allowed to. So it's a complex situation. There's no doubt. But like I said, you would have liked to see the ATP and WTA stand on the same ground on this issue.
0: Talking with Brad Gilbert, we're talking everything from Wimbledon to China to how about tiebreakers, the French Open instituted a tiebreaker. And so now all four majors have tiebreakers. Your thoughts on um, having tiebreakers across the board? Are you in favor of them? Does Does it you know, save players health, obviously, if they have to, you know, keep keep on playing. Your thoughts on that?
1: Um, well, the, I feel like the U.S. Open got it right a long time ago, being the first, I don't know, 50-something years ago. And it was great that Wimbledon finally, you know, did it. Aussie Open did it a few years ago. They were the second to do it. And I actually like what they do best by going to a 10-point tiebreaker. In the third and the fifth set, or the third set in women's, which now they're doing um, at the French Open this year for the first time. They were the last to do it, um, and now Wimbledon went for a few years to a 12-all tiebreaker. Now they're going to a third-set breaker. So I mean, third sets and fifth sets. So I think it's great. Um, I love love the greatness of a fifth set, but okay, we're getting on the fifth, you know all four tournaments are playing a, a tiebreaker in the fifth or a tiebreaker in the third, uh, m- you know, massive props to them for finally getting that done and all being on the same page.
0: What was your take? And I, this is going back, but to Novak Djokovic not being allowed due to his vaccination status in playing the Australian open, which was another huge controversy just earlier in the year and then, you know, obviously Nadal won the tournament, but maybe he, they're all up there neck and neck, but maybe he, by not doing that, he he forsook a grand slam. Well,
1: once again, this is a tough political situation. He rolled the dice knowing that, you know, it was a complex situation. I'm sure that they told him that like, okay, it's not a slam dunk. You're going to be able to get in the country because having COVID wasn't an excuse to get, you know, an exemption to get into the country. Unfortunately, the tournament had told them they thought it was okay. He, had, it, it, he had gotten an exemption from the tournament, which a couple others, like a coach and maybe one other player had gotten this exemption. You know, there. Um, you know, there was a religious exemption. Maybe there were some complex medical exemptions to get in the country on that. But he got in on saying he had COVID in in a short period of time, which uh, gave him an exemption. But then once they found out the government, there was also local government, state government, national government. so there you know lots of different layers like we have in the states. and then all of a sudden a couple different entities got wind of it. It's like no, that that's not a reason that you can be coming into the country. Like right now, I believe that you cannot come same thing. you can't get an exemption coming in the United States um, for saying you've had COVID if you haven't been vaccinated. So these are complex situations that are you know supersede tennis rules. You know, and this is a you know all of these things you know are moving you know fluid situations. maybe the rules change, maybe the the uh, the vaccine you know subsides, but the rules are changing, you know, and it's still going on after two and a half years.
0: How do you rank the three of them and I know Federer looks like he's maybe done winning majors, and I'll ask you about him in a moment, but Tomorrow, uh, Djokovic plays Nadal in the French Open. How do you how do you see those three players as all time greats?
1: I mean, obviously they're three amazing players that have lifted each other to incredible heights. And at the moment, Rafa has a slight lead on Joker. And if Joker were to win this title and Ty Rafa at 21, his resume is is outrageous. He he would be the only male player in the history of tennis to have won all four of the majors three times, and he's the only male player to have won every one of the Master Series titles um, once. Not only has he done it once, he's done it twice. Uh, But, you know, then some people still say, okay, until he takes the lead at 22 that that it would be tied you know and and majors and you uh, year-end you know number ones year-end championships there's a lot of different things in there head to head but you know joker you know obviously you know we don't even know if he can get into the states you know this summer to play the open because of his vaccine stance but I still think that he's probably got three to four more good years. So who knows? And who knows, you know, how many more Rafa can win? Nobody thought he would win Australia. And Roger's going to be 41, you know, in August, has not played um, since Wimbledon last year. So it's extremely unlikely that he will be adding to his tally. But all three of them, outrageously great careers and all playing at the same time,
0: you know, tennis has been a million times better for seeing it. Can you, as a for example, I think Tiger Woods is the greatest golfer ever. Whether he passes Jack Nicklaus or not, whether he's more than two or three majors behind him, I don't think it matters. Can you look at, like, maybe someone like Federer, I I don't know the exact years, but maybe from, like, Oh uh, four, oh five to maybe two thousand thirteen, and I know that Nadal has had absurd dominance on clay at the French Open. But that said, can you look at someone like Federer and say, in that compressed period of time, he was the greatest player I've ever seen?
1: Uh, no, I don't. I don't. I mean, Joker's compressed period from eleven to you know this time, or Rafa. I mean, I I, I mean. All three of their bodies of work are outrageous you you said you, you you don't put Tiger Woods over Nicholas. no I do three, I, I do put okay. t- no i'm saying you do, but all three of these guys smashed pete Sampras's record so it, it's like so who who he eclipsed Roy Emerson, but also too remember like labor Rosewall, lots of guys would have had way more majors, but that when they turned pro they didn't get to play forever, but in the open era these three guys have been by far the best three players of all time. It's not even, you know, second to none. And to say they all happen at the same time is outrageous, but I just feel like, okay, just give it a few more years we'll know concretely where we are and who knows, you know, if, if, you know, a kid like Alcaraz now Mm -hmm. will jump into fray in 10 years and we'll be saying that's the beauty of sports. You, You just, you know, it's like a moving escalator and you know, some records, you know, will never be touched, but even
0: some records you think that can never be touched do get touched. Can you see, you mentioned Alcaraz who plays Zverev tomorrow in, the, in the, another quarterfinal in the French Open. Do you see, I heard Rafael Nadal, his comments about he, he can be as great as ever. Uh, do you see that kind of potential in Alcaraz?
1: I'll just say this. I mean, it's early on, yeah. but I mean, the guy's got unbelievable talent and game. So wh- where he goes with that, you know, you got to have good health, uh, all sorts of things. But he's on a great path at the moment. He's 19 years old and he's on an amazing path. Zverev is playing. You know, Go ahead. like uh, amazing trajectory, path, all that you still you know it's like one of those things let's let's check back in 2027 and yeah. see where he's at but if you told me by 2025 which is 3 years from now and he's uh, only 22 years old and he has 5 major titles already I would not be surprised
0: more and more players there's uh trash talking on the court but more and more players are throwing rackets uh what do you see which is is kind of dangerous um but at the same time you played the sport and i'm sure you've thrown a racket or two or played against people who have thrown a racket or two Uh, where do you come down on throwing rackets and how should it be legislated against
1: uh well first of all there's like almost zero trash talking in tennis it's not like basketball or football
0: um, well, you're not, up clo- it, you're not up close. You're not nose-to-nose with players, correct? I understand. No, but there's,
1: like, like I said, next to zero trash-talking on the court. Um, like I said, it's, not, it's, it's different. Maybe there's a little bit of agitation, but very rarely confrontation. The, I mean, the, if you saw it on Twitter, Andy Roddick did a great tutorial on how to throw uh, your racket or how to hit a ball out of the stadium. Um, this year, it just, it's been ridiculous. Varev should have been suspended. That was appalling what he did. Um, just here in the early in the tournament, Rublev smacked a ball, hit a ball kid underneath the chin, umpires out. That should have been an uh, instant default. Begu threw a racket, bounced in the stands, should have been an instant default. Those are all rules that everybody knows. You're allowed to throw your racket. Just don't have it bounce. Make sure you know what you're doing. Um, so I, I advise the players once again, watch the tutorial of Roddick. He shows you how to do it. And I give red cards to the umpires for, you you know, not, you know, applying the rules. Like I know it ends a match. It's not like, Oh, you know, it could be, but players know better. You know, Rublev was should have known better. He smashed the ball. He didn't mean to hit somebody, but what he did was, Five times worse than what Djokovic did in the open, and he wasn't defaulted. Same thing what um, Begu did. You know, those are worse, much worse than what Djokovic did in the open. He flicked the ball. He happened to make contact with the Lions person, and then he was defaulted. But Jensen Brooksby did the same thing in Aust- um, Miami. Threw his racket. It bounced, hit the ball kit should have been an instant default. It it hasn't. So this year, like for some reason, the officiating has swallowed the whistle. It's it's very surprising.
0: So we talked about Roger Federer. So you mentioned he'll be 41. And then, of course, there is Serena Williams. How long do you see either of them playing tennis?
1: Well, let's start with Federer. And let's hope at 41 years old in August,
0: that he's able
1: to go out on his own terms. Like, you know, he's coming off of, like, three knee surgeries and I think almost five in total since, like, uh, 2000, at uh, the end of 2016. So you, you hope that he can play a few events or he can just play something. Um, but I don't think that you will see him play if he's nowhere near healthy. I don't think he wants to be out there limping around just to say goodbye I think it's you know it's a lot more about I think that if he feels like he can be healthy and competitive you'll see him and and like I said that's what you root for you hope that he can go out on his own terms and the same thing for Serena you know who's missed now almost a year Um, but I think she would she if she could get healthy I think she potentially could still make a run you know, to, to winning a major. You know, I know one thing, never underestimate a Williams because th- their longevity has been incredible. Um, but same thing, like I said, about Fed, you just hope that she can go out on her own terms, you know, being healthy.
0: Do you believe that Serena, we talked about the men's side, who the greatest player of all time is, is it a case closed Serena Williams is the greatest women's player of all time or you don't see it that way?
1: I'm uh, saying close. It's Serena one and um, Steffi, Steffi Graf two. I don't, I don't give um, Margaret Court the all-time Grand Slam leader at 24 because she has like 11 Australian Opens. A lot of them are before pro tennis, and there was numerous ones where she won the Aussie Open uh, like in the 60s where they were like 32 and 48 draws, and literally, there was only four or five foreigners that came over and played. So I don't really count those. So I go by open era stats, and it's not even close. It's like it, it would go: Serena, Steffi, Martina, Chrissy. Bang. I don't even have
0: you know Margaret Court in the top four. And maybe if she wasn't stabbed, Monica Seles could have been. In that yes. group, but that was... So that, she would be five. Yeah, that would have ruined her career. She was never the same. That well, was I mean... A great tragedy. Yeah. It was a terrible but, moment. Yeah. Oh. Th- those,
1: those are the top five, so I wouldn't even have Margaret Court in the top five. All right. Ra- because ra- I, I, go by, I go by the open era, and like I said, I went back and looked at a lot of those draws that she won. It, it really wasn't the same tournament then.
0: Last couple here. What about... Um, Sets should uh, it be best of three until the quarterfinals so the players are fresh and not injured? Should women play best of five? How do you come down on are you fine with how things well, yellow are? Yellow
1: card for you, yellow card for you for even asking that question. Best of five forever in every round, then you change history. So, would never want that. And best of five for women is you know, listen, they've always played best of three. And that's their decision. That's you you know, if they want to go to best of five at some point, that's their decision. So it's not that that's not a decision for me to to make or speculate about. I mean, they're you know, it's they're both great at at what they do, um, but I am massively adamant that the men continue to play best of five in every round forever. Otherwise, you change history. Um, and the women have always played best of three. There's only been one tournament ever they played a best of five in the final in, in the, WT, the WTA Championships for a few years. But if they want to implement that in the quarter, semis, or finals, semis or finals or just finals, that you know, that's their decision.
0: Well, it's a it's a different level of conditioning, I would think, playing a fourth and fifth set where you um, have to...
1: i mean listen i'm not going to say they can or can't do it but that's not a decision for me to make you know because i'm not on their board i'm not one of their players i'm not you you, you know you, you know it's that's like one of those things that people just flippantly say oh you should do this or do that but i'm not part you, you know if they did it i would say great if they don't do it no i mean it's like i have i'm I have no opinion on it, but I I have an opinion about men should continue in slams to play best of five sets. Now it's easier because you don't have to play past six all in the fifth.
0: How can tennis be more affordable and attract more children to play?
1: Um, Well, during the pandemic, I guess the tennis numbers are at at the highest level they've been for the longest time, but I, I think that if we can continue to integrate tennis into schools i think it would you know it would help a lot getting it, it you know you know you have high school tennis but it would be great at some point if we could get you know more tennis into you know schools middle schools grammar schools um and you know I, you know I, I wish i had the answers for you on that but i don't
0: well you're a great commentator and analyst on espn a sharp guy Would Brad Gilbert, though, ever go back into coaching?
1: Would I ever go? Never say never.
0: Okay. That's a fair answer. On that note, uh, we'll wrap things up. I really appreciate your time and your insights on all these issues around the sport of tennis. Okay. Have a good afternoon. All right. We will take a break right here. Thanks to Brad Gilbert. I'm Evan Makofsky, and you're listening to the Issues of Sports on the Believe Network. Thanks a lot to Brad Gilbert. He certainly is sharp, no doubt about it. He weighs in. ESPN is lucky to have him. And he said never say never to being a coach again, so... He still may have something to give. His passion for tennis is certainly as great as it's ever been. So I want to thank everybody for listening. Thanks to Brad Gilbert. I'm Evan Makofsky. You're listening to the Issues of Sports on the Believe Network. And we'll see you on the next episode. And tell your friends to follow and subscribe. Follow and subscribe. See you next time.